Let me tell you a story. Podcast number 146. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. Call me Ishmael. It was the age of wisdom. Some years ago. Never mind. It is a truth universally acknowledged. You don't know about me without you. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story with your hosts, Steve and Becky Lyles. Settle back into your seat, step onto your favorite fitness machine, or lace up your walking shoes, and enjoy stories from a variety of genres and authors. Hi, this is Becky. Welcome to Let Me Tell You a Story. We interviewed today's guest, Jody Coles, on podcast number 56, way back in 2016. She lived in Turkey at the time and graciously talked with us by Skype, was it? Yeah, in the middle of her night, if I remember right. Jody had three books under her belt at that time and since then, and in the midst of a crazy, hectic life, has written several more. Not all in the same genre, I might add. In addition, she writes beautiful poetry and inspirational pieces and ghost writes, and I'm not sure what else. So today, we're talking about her most recent book. It's titled Cold Turkey, How Much Chaos crowds and colorful adventure can one woman take. The novel is a fun romp through Istanbul. But before we talk about cold turkey, I want to welcome Jody, and then I'll read her bio. Thank you, Jody, for joining us. My pleasure. <laughs> it's nice to be in person. <laughs> yes. And I should say for joining me because Steve um, isn't able to be with us this morning. So Jody's bio. And Jody Coles is an American author who spent eight years living and mostly loving life with her husband and daughter in Istanbul, Turkey, spending more than half her adult life living and working in seven countries. Her time abroad expanded her vision of the world and allowed her to collect stories along the way. Armed with an endless supply of culture-clashing mishaps, inappropriate marriage proposals, and language barrier misfires, Jody's writing gets to the heart of the matter the human connection present in every country and every culture. So before we move on, I have to ask, how can a marriage proposal be inappropriate? Well, uh, I've had camels offered for me, (laughs) for one. I've been offered to be the fourth wife of an 80-year-old stroke victim in the Senegalese desert. Ooh, fun. Those are the kind of... (laughs) You know, when you're writing a bio, you're trying to make it short and snappy, but so maybe inappropriate isn't the right word, but certainly undesirable. <laughs> oh, I like that one. Certainly in, in the uh, American mindset. Yes. Those are yes. inappropriate. Yes. <laughs> so your background may partially explain the different genres you've tackled. Has that been on purpose or does your muse wonder here and there. My muse wanders. Yeah. It's very, uh, it's very challenging for trying to sell books. I know to be all (laughs) over the place, different (laughs) genres. Um, you know, I, I have bounced around a lot. I, I worked in a corporate cubicle for seven years and, I, my first book was a political thriller about American politics and, mm-hmm. and religion and the place of, of personal choice and religious beliefs and freedoms. And then I moved overseas and saw uh, a whole different spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a novella about some of the, an allegory about some of the 
really difficult things that I saw. And then I was an international aid worker traveling around North Africa, worried about being kidnapped. And so I wrote a novel about an international aid worker traveling around North Africa getting kidnapped. So I, you can see that. And then I wrote a comedy, which is Cold Turkey is a comedy. So I, um, I process through writing. And I think that I think that that um, certainly uh, affects the genre that I'm in. And I'm interested in I have a very short attention span, so I get interested in something and maybe write about it, and then another year I'm interested in a completely different topic. So I I bounce around a lot. (laughs) So dare I ask what you're working on right now? Well, right now I'm really excited. I've been working on a children's book. Um, My daughter was born in Turkey. And we, uh, very long story, but we had we had some difficulties uh, with her adoption and getting out. So she never left the country until we were finally able to leave when she was about four and a half. And she spoke Turkish, and she she was raised in Istanbul, and she moved back to Boise, and just the shock of culture and change. And so I wrote a a children's book called Joy's World, and it's our neighborhood in Istanbul, and it's bilingual. It's a little children's adventure. And I wrote it for her, and I put it together for her. I've got a Turkish illustrator, and they're beautiful images. And then we're going to do, we're going to translate it into several languages. And for the bilingual child and the bicultural child and, and, third culture kids who are bouncing all over the world, which is pretty common now. Mm-hmm. So that is getting really close to coming out. Oh, fun. But there's not a lot of writing. Writing I'm working on, I'm going back to the series that I was working on before Cold Turkey. Oh, okay. In, you know, my spare time. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> With a, a busy little girl. Yes. Busy little girl and lots of, lots of deadlines and and different projects and trying to get the audiobook for cold turkey right now that's on my on my list yeah that's a pretty long book too it is yeah i'm not sure how long it's gonna take (laughs) (laughs) that'll be fun i've heard people really enjoy audio by the author i have heard that as well that's why i'm giving it a go i've never done it before (laughs) it'll be nice I thoroughly enjoyed reading Cold Turkey, and I have to say I love the snarky protagonist, Amanda, a single woman from Idaho who was sort of hoodwinked into teaching eighth graders at Istanbul International School. I took this excerpt from the back cover. Amanda soon finds herself caught up in a colorful and often perplexing life as a foreigner in Turkey, navigating a never-ending leaking bathroom, crowded public transportation, and plenty of foibles in a language completely foreign to her, Amanda jumps in with humor and enthusiasm. Discovering Turkey's rich culture, impressive street food, and friendly, if slightly intrusive, inhabitants enamors Amanda at first. But as the school year grinds on, the newness and excitement wear off. As her challenges begin piling up, Amanda questions her decision and longs for home. But deep down, she's beginning to fall in love with this crazy and chaotic metropolis and the people who live in it. Jody, you lived in Turkey for several years, but you were married, not single, and you had a child. How much of Amanda's story is your story? 
I would. I think there's a genre. Maybe you could help me with that. That's it's fiction, but it is uh, inspired by true events. Oh. Mm-hmm. But anyway, the a lot of her, um, a lot of the things that happened to her, a lot of her um, experience of the culture and the Turkish people are obviously informed by our eight years there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was single when I first went overseas. Um, the last I was overseas this last time for 15 years so I uh, we got married and then went to Turkey for the last eight Mm -hmm. so I I went overseas and I experienced several quite a few cultures as a single woman and so yeah Mm -hmm. her her experiences are very much informed by my own and a lot of the mishaps and the leaking bathrooms and all of that (laughs) are are definitely true to life yeah. Oh, and the hole in the wall in the kitchen, was it? Yes, that was a true story as that well. Was. Yeah, our, our uh, handyman made the you're going to die gesture with his hand across his throat. Oh. Yeah, you're, yeah. I, I who knew? I didn't grow up with gas stoves in America, so I know that some regions do. But yeah, we had you in Turkey, you... Everybody has gas stoves, and there's a there's a window right next to the stove, and then there's a like a, a hole with a vent, and it's to keep you from you know dying. <laughs> but my the previous people in the apartment had taped it over and told us it was a crack in the window, so we didn't even. Oh. There were so many things wrong with the apartment that that was <laughs> on the that was lower low on the list. Oh, I, I believe I gave Amanda the duct taped toilet seat too oh. at the beginning that we had. That was the first thing we changed. Oh, no. oh yeah. my! So that's pretty. Yeah. Anyway, that's pretty common. Did she have to pay for repairs herself? Or? She did, although uh, a couple of her neighbors occasionally paid for repairs or had had their friend come over and fix something, which is also common. <laughs> we had a few friends send their their friendly, you know, repair person over and didn't charge us. So it helps to... It helps to be friendly. <laughs> it does. And Turks are incredibly warm and welcoming, uh, and they uh, they care for the foreigner very well. I learned a lot from them. Oh, cool. Which kind of leads me into my next question. I also appreciated in the book the immersion into the Turkish culture, from language to clothes to food and drink, as well as the daily living challenges the residents face especially foreigners. I know you wrote based on your own experience there, but did you, like Amanda, fall in love with the people? I did. I fell in love with the Turks pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with the culture, the country. Um, it's it's a beautiful country. Mm-hmm. Um, even though Istanbul is a city of 20-some million, it's oh. just, it is crowded and chaotic, like the subtitle of cold turkey it's Mm. it you're never by yourself and you're always on stage because as a foreigner people are watching you our our neighbors watched us all the time and knew who we were even if we didn't know who they were but they are incredibly welcoming Mm. and they pull you right in and yeah i fell in love with turkey and of course as any love it it ebbs and flows and Mm -hmm. by the end of our eight years we had we had been there a long time and we had had such trouble with our adoption that I was very much tired and, mm-hmm. and 
um, having frustrations with the culture and with the people and with the government that we were wrestling with. And so I, that's when I started writing Cold Turkey. And oh. it was um, incredibly therapeutic hmm. to try to remember back to the beginning <sighs> and sort of synthesize and repaint and make funnier and, you know, things that... <laughs> that had happened and feelings that I had had. And it, it brought a lot of joy to write it mm. and to, to remove myself just a little bit from the difficult situation and the, the really wearying situation we were in and, and remember. And um, there are so many, I have so many good, good memories mm. of Turkey and of our friends and the, the neighborhood that took such good care of us. Um, and it was fun to give that to Amanda. Yeah, that's cool. Do you stay in touch with any of those people? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, less and less. It's, of course, Turkish is um, sort of on the opposite end of the language scale with English. You know, there are languages that are closer together. I speak Spanish as well, and that was easier to learn than Turkish. So the longer that I'm away, the more difficult it is to, to speak Turkish. And our many of our friends did not speak English. So it's getting a little bit harder to stay in touch. Yeah. Well, you can't really, I don't suppose there's a neighborhood in Boise where you can go immerse, immerse yourself. Not that I've found. I have, we've been here, we've been back a year and a half and I found one cafe of that's run by Syrian refugees who were in Turkey for a while. So they speak Turkish. And then I was at a coffee shop working a couple months ago and I heard Turkish and I went, <laughs> I just blasted up to the table and, and said hello in Turkish and their eyes just oh. popped out because it is not very common in Boise. And yeah. well, of course we were instant hugging friends and <laughs> we've gotten together several times. Oh, really? Oh, very cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, like you say, very warm, welcoming yes, people. Yes, yes, very warm and welcoming. And they weren't offended that you. Oh no, they were so excited. I, th I'm, I think that that the mother started had a little tear, started crying mm -hmm. a little bit. You know, yeah. it's just, you know, it, I mean, if you've lived overseas, it's the same thing. Whenever I found, I remember one of my very first trips overseas was to um, the Ukraine, and we were walking down the street after uh, maybe a month, and I heard English, and I stopped on the street. And it was another American. And we just chatted as animatedly as possible for a minute. And, you know, then we went on. But finding someone who is speaking a language that you understand in a sea of, you know, of, of, of a different culture is, yeah. is really a warm thing okay. for your heart. What was the hardest part of living in Turkey for Amanda? And does that mirror your own experience? That's an excellent question. Um, I would say language and culture. I mean, you Turkish is so difficult uh, for English speakers. And I was even older than Amanda when I went, so that made it worse. Um, and it is a very, it is a very different culture, which um, is it's difficult to manage sometimes. There are aspects of it that are difficult to manage mm -hmm. and trying to keep friendships. Um, they're very uh, clannish 
kind of has a negative connotation sometimes, but they're very loyal, loyal to family, mm. which is a great thing. Um, but if you cross them, they cut you to the quick and you're done. Oh. And it's, we, we had, a, we had a number of friends who had relatives they didn't speak to. And I think I wrote that into a wedding scene, uh, in the book that the aunt that, that is there at the table and, and hasn't been spoken to in 20 years because of some whatever slight mm-hmm. that happened. <laughs> so I think that that's a, that obviously I'm talking about it. It was a, it was a hard thing for me. And, um, sure. I think it was maybe, maybe not quite as difficult for Amanda. That's in the sequel. She'll have that problem more. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I was going to ask about a sequel. (laughs) Yeah, I have ideas. It's not the next thing on my list. It's not my next project, but I do have ideas. I kind of like to see, you know, because there is a lot, there is a large difference between your first and second year. And I tried to write along, um, what is something that's very familiar to me, the, the culture shock graph. Mm-hmm. And I tried to make sure and plot her along that correctly. <laughs> and, but it, it comes and goes, the culture shock comes and goes. And so it, the second year you settle into it more and then you have larger dips. And I think that would be really intriguing to see how she did. Um, when her Turkish got better and she got into deeper conversations with her neighbors mm-hmm. and, We'll see. What was the best part of the experience for Amanda in this first year of her teaching? And does that mirror your experience? I think just discovering how, I mean, it seems really cliche, but discovering a new culture and how big the world is mm-hmm. and and it adds color. It it expands the plate that you're eating off of, you know? Mm-hmm. I, it To... To immerse yourself in another culture and see how other people live, you are more grateful for your own, for, you know, your own uh, country and your own upbringing. And at the same time, your eyes are opened. And I think it, it makes, it makes communication easier. I mean, it is difficult to communicate in another language and to maneuver another culture, but when you learn it. Um, it makes communication at home easier. It makes relationships easier with people who are different than you. Um, I was just talking to somebody this morning about, about communication issues and trying to, we have such a problem with division in our country Mm -hmm. and that's not unique to just America, but we have trouble crossing these invisible lines. And I think when you live overseas, and I think it happened to Amanda, even in the first year, when you're exposed to um, people from different cultures and languages, you get better at just accepting people for who they are mm-hmm. and you can appreciate their differences. And of course, their their differences are irritating and annoying and you have to figure out how to get over it. But um, you have a, a, an opportunity to get over it, whereas I think we sort of comfortably stay in our bubbles here Mm -hmm. um, in a lot of ways. So that was uh, something that I intentionally tried to give her and was a good experience for me. 
I think from a from a faith perspective, something that's really interesting is um, we have a lot of division in, in faith here in the States as well. And when you're in a country that doesn't have um, much of your many of your um, same people of the same faith, you get together and you're just happy to be together. Mm-hmm. And you don't notice that you sing songs that, you know, you, you okay, you sing songs you don't like, whatever. You're just <laughs> happy to, you know, there's, there's a lot of um, conflict that gets the the sound goes down the volume goes down on mm-hmm. conflict and you're just yeah. you you are able to be in community better i think oh, interesting well also in turkey there most of the people are of the same faith right yes yes 99.9 oh, wow yeah so it, does that give them a camaraderie or closeness uh, that you don't find in America? I don't think so because it's the same thing as we have or we have had. Uh, maybe not so much since I've, I feel like America has changed quite a, li- a lot in the 15 years I've been gone. Mm-hmm. But um, you find, like, I can speak to my faith. I, I'm a Jesus follower, and so I see that it has been in all of my upbringing uh, if not a majority, then at least a plurality in the States. And so mm-hmm. without um, being in smaller numbers, you fight more and you you um, split more. And um, I think that that was certainly true. I mean, that's what we saw in Turkey. Yes, they were all uh, of the same Muslim faith, but they fought over it and they split over it and they, mm. you know, had nominal believers and then they had cultural Muslims and that all the things that we have huh. or have had again, I don't know what the numbers are now, but, um, I think when you have a, a minority faith or a majority faith, it, it works itself out differently. Huh. Interesting. <laughs> Something to do with human nature. Yeah, human nature, exactly. It, it is interesting to me. I, the, the kind of the persecution that generally comes when you're a minority of any kind, faith or um, race or, or whatever, caste, um, you are more unified and more convinced oh. um, of whatever it is. Mm. I, I guess you're not convinced of a when it's a racial thing, but when it's a when it's a thing that you have a choice about a faith or um, a particular belief, you you become more unified and you become more convinced, or you leave because the pressure of the persecution of being a minority is very strong. Interesting. Totally. Sorry, went totally yeah, off no, on a different. No, it's interesting. <laughs> I was just reading about um, uh, persecution of Burmese by Thai people, mm-hmm. um, you know, which I had no idea. Just if you're different. If you're different, I yeah. I think, you know, I have a, being the age that I am and raised in the States, I have a complicated um, construct of race, as everybody in America does. And I feel bad uh, about racism. You know, I mean, that's very to simplify it like crazy. But um, I I felt bad about us as Americans when I left the boundaries in that particular um, in that particular topic. 
I felt like we were doing a bad job. And then I got overseas in a number of countries. I'm not, I didn't just go to one. I went to a number and uh, I realized, oh, we're just human is the problem. It's mm-hmm. not that we're American, we're human. Because every country that I went to had racism really? and had that kind of that kind of persecution of whoever was the minority, whether it was a race or a religion or, I mean, even in Turkey, they had these um, people who picked up the trash and they looked the same. They wore these like MC Hammer pants. I don't know if that's dating me or whatever, but, and the, and they were very identifiable and they, and they carried these um, roll, huge rolling carts and they went around to each trash bin every day. They had roots and it was a whole like syndicate. I mean, it's their oh. thing. And they were um, super uh, well off because recycling is very um, uh, lucrative there. Uh, but they were they were a minority and they were treated as such. Hmm. So I, there's just it happens everywhere. And oh. so I felt better. Yes, we have problems. I'm not even. We have problems here of a of, of wide variety, but I'm more thankful to be an American. I'm more impressed by the um, pillars of our country, mm-hmm. and I think that we any I, I think that we would be a lot better off if everyone would go live overseas for a year mm-hmm. in our country because we would see then very quickly that we have done uh, we have we are benefiting from some incredible structures in our country a foundation yeah, yeah yeah and make us grateful yes yes i think we can be very grateful yeah. i mean nothing is nothing works perfectly we're humans that's the you know <laughs> but but generally speaking the way that things work is so much better than a lot of the rest of the world hmm well, that's good to know. <laughs> I guess I feel spoiled oftentimes. Yeah, yeah. 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 Have you had that? <laughs> and I, I'm, I guess we're not really getting off the subject, but I've had that just, you know, watching the news, like, wow, I don't have to worry about a bomb falling on my house mm-hmm. or my house being flooded and wa- yeah. washed away. And yeah. So when you came back... Or each time you came back, did you have a kind of a tug of war? Oh, for sure. For sure. And we left in such a, we left in chaos and disarray. And um, very quickly, we had State Department intervention. And that's a whole nother topic. And, and we, and Turkey is not doing well. And our friends are suffering. Mm -hmm. And our, our friends that we lived among and with are struggling to buy groceries. Um, so yeah, it's very reverse culture shock is is very significant. And the I I noticed this in several places. I was one, one time I was in Indonesia at a conference and we were um, surrounded by uh, bad actors. Our our conference center got surrounded by bad actors, and I was the only one with the blue passport, and that made a difference. And I saw that in several countries. I knew that my country would not let 
something stand, something bad stand, wow. you know, like mm-hmm. I had that confidence. Now my confidence has been shaken in, <laughs> in later years. But, but at that time I was looking at my colleagues from all kind of, um, Spanish speaking countries. Uh, I had a lot of colleagues from central and Latin America and, um, they had passports where their countries would not send anyone to rescue them. Mm. And I think there's a lot of, you know, privilege is a word that we throw around now. It's a little bit loaded, but there is a lot of privilege to our, our blue passport. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, such a learning experience, as, as you said earlier in your bio, and that's informed your writing. Mm-hmm. So it's very cool. Uh, back to cold turkey. <laughs> um, the comedy. <laughs> <laughs> the comedy, yes. That also has a hint of romance yes. running through yes. it. Yes. So I'm wondering, did your heroine go to Turkey looking for love? Well, I did not get married till I was 39. So I can speak authoritatively about myself <laughs> that I was never looking for love, but I always had my eye out. Uh, you know, so mm-hmm. I think she um, was not, I mean, she jokes about Mr. Darcy at the beginning and mm-hmm. she was trying to make her own way and have a full life and try a new adventure. And, and if um, you, I think you most of the time have your eyes open at least mm-hmm. when you're single. Yeah. But she struggled with, uh, through, throughout the story. <laughs> I don't want to give that away, but an attraction yes I guess yes but not knowing if that was a valid attraction Mm -hmm. I guess might be the way to say it which I've been married 10 years and I have forgotten some things about single life but I remember that I remember the the struggle for sure especially as you get older as a single woman I don't know how it is for men but as a single woman and as a single woman of uh, of faith Mm -hmm. I think there are there are um, certain things that can be made fun of, for sure, when <laughs> when um, a lot of single women get together and when there's only one single man in the group, you know, it, mm-hmm. it happens here. And I experienced it here in, in the States in, um, what are they called? You know, like, not youth groups, but college and career oh, and yeah. <laughs> singles groups, mm-hmm. you know. When there's one new man that walks in, all the women have their eyes, their radar, mm-hmm. you know. It has nothing to do with whether you have a full life or not and whether you're content being single. It's just a reality of being single, I think, for a lot of women. <laughs> Yeah, not that anybody would admit. But oh, well. They keep looking at the guy in the corner, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I remember those days. <laughs> um, about your book, uh, well, I, I want to talk about the cover. Okay. But, but um, is there anything else you'd like to say about the book before we do? Don't want to give too much away. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to... <laughs> speak in that way about fiction. <laughs> yes, but it is, it's a fun book and it has a great eye-catching cover that at least for me, someone who's never been to Turkey, gives me an idea of the crowded, colorful chaos of the country. Was this the cover you envisioned while you were writing the novel or was it the book designer's idea? It was for sure the book designer's. Uh, that is not in my skill set. Uh-huh. I'm not, I am very visual, but when I'm writing a story, I don't 
think about things like book cover. And I am very, very thankful to have uh, a colleague and partner, business partner, who is fantastic with cover design. And Mm -hmm. she's done uh, Leslie Stewart, in case you want to look her up, she has a cover design um, business on the side. But I think she's done a fabulous job of encapsulating just what you said. It's, Mm -hmm. it is crazy and chaotic and colorful. And she found this image and I fell in love with it. And, um, yeah, it's perfect. Yeah. 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 Great color. (laughs) Very, very fun and a fun title too. (laughs) Yeah. That was her title also. Oh, really? Yeah. We, we were, you know, workshopping or whatever it is, titles and, for a while, we were thinking about Turkish delight, but we thought that might give people the wrong idea about the genre. <laughs> oh uh, but she came up with that one, and I love it. I can't even remember. I think, I think my working title was Miss Morris Goes to Turkey or something <laughs> like that. So you can tell, you know, as a writer, the, the, the writing process and then the packaging process are two totally separate things right different skill sets and I'm very very thankful for the team that I work with yeah because it takes it takes a team but also it takes a different side of your brain yes to do the, but and co- you yeah. pu- you pour everything into it yeah. when you're writing it so you're way too close mm. that's a good point yeah I hate writing the back cover blurbs because oh I have somebody who does that oh. now yes that's Rachel Mitchell okay. my other my other cohort <laughs> my other colleague that's, in crime just keep her in mind yes she's <laughs> very cold good at turkey it turkey really works for going cold turkey yes to another country yes yeah. yes so yeah I think symbolism. that yeah, yeah the leaving everything that's familiar yeah. and it is it's very much from, you know, now that we can travel to the other side of the world in 12 or 18 hours, it's not the same as when you had a nice six-month transition on the boat. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So it's just step off the plane Mm -hmm. and you're in another world. Totally new world, yeah. Yeah. And I did it to Amanda, like like happened to us. We had somebody who said that they would help us and then dropped off the face of the earth. And so we were, when we went, we were completely on our own. Mm. And so I wanted to give that opportunity <laughs> to her as well. <laughs> Nerve wracking. Yes, yes. <clears throat> uh, so before we go, I'm sure our listeners would like to hear you read a selection from Cold Turkey. Maybe a favorite passage or one that gives a flavor of the story. It's your choice. I would love to do that. I'll read the, uh, what in other books would be called the prologue, but in my book is called um, A Brief Word of Advice and or Warning. (laughs) This will give you a flavor. There's a middle-aged woman rubbing slow circles on my decidedly unsix-packed stomach while her elderly cane-assisted mother pats the butt I've been meaning to do more squats with, pats repeatedly. We three huddle close together, standing in the entrance of their tiny kitchen, and I might as well be a mannequin for all I'm contributing to the animated discussion they're having about my body. My friend Neil, the daughter-granddaughter of this dynamic and overly tactile duo, participates in the conversation from just outside what my older brother might have called a classic Amanda sandwich. 
<laughs> In fact, Mannequin is a good description as this three-generation Turkish outpost of the fashion police modified my outfit almost immediately upon greeting me at the door, right after expansive hugs and resounding kisses on both cheeks. I thought I was coming for a cooking lesson, but it doesn't look like that's going to commence anytime soon, as the stomach rubbing and butt patting with occasional full-body squeezes has been going on for at least five minutes. Neil hasn't felt the need to translate much of her kinswomen's remarks, other than letting me know the general argument consists of whether or not I've put on weight since moving into the neighborhood. That's right, I moved all the way across the world from Boise, Idaho, USA to Istanbul, Turkey, and the first home that welcomes me is full of women standing in the kitchen arguing about my weight. You might be wondering how a 36-year-old, Jesus-following, single Caucasian second-grade teacher from the City of Trees managed to find herself in a massive concrete jungle generally, and inside a room so highly disregardive of personal space boundaries specifically, and I would respond by saying that that is an excellent question. It seems like we might be here a while longer, so I'll take a minute to catch you up. So you know those stories that begin with a woman scorned, and more often than not end with her sleeping her way across Tuscany or Appalachia or Vermont? Well, I don't want to give you the wrong impression within five minutes of meeting, but I feel like I should probably be up front and tell you that, barring divine intervention, the 80-ish year old woman currently patting my butt is the only patting of my butt that you'll be forced to bear witness to <laughs> for the duration of this, my tale of casting off the known and running into the wild. Oh, wait, that title's already taken. Regardless, this is not going to be a grand operatic tale where you cheer from the sidelines as I walk through a giant life crisis that causes me to pack up my things and hike across Turkey, whilst entertaining you with all the men with whom I'm sleeping. That's not to say I'm not susceptible to handsome men, because let me tell you, in my limited experience, Turkish men are quite handsome, and I might have to throw up a few personal boundaries so I don't accidentally suscept to one of them. It's also not to say I wasn't having a life crisis, double negative notwithstanding, because obviously something was going on or I wouldn't have made such a drastic choice. But the bottom line is that sleeping my way across any geographical region, foreign or domestic, is not really my cup of chai. That's tea in Turkish, by the way. That wasn't too difficult, was it? Perhaps you'll find my tale to be educational as well as entertaining. And in honor of surviving your first Turkish lesson, I'll admit to you it was a sort of crisis that brought me here. But let's call it a single Christian woman of a certain age who struggles to find a place in the wedded bliss, family first, American evangelicalism subculture type of crisis. Or maybe the hip college and career pastor callously suggesting that perhaps you've aged out of the group at church and should try to see if you can somehow insinuate yourself into the young married group type of crisis. Ergo, first world problems. What happened was, after the college and career pastor, yes, that was more of a true story than creatively fictionalized hyperbole, suggested I was too old for his group, in somewhat stereotypical fashion, I possibly and slightly overcorrected by skipping right over young marrieds to a women's night out. I had always assumed, rightly or wrongly, that these evenings were geared toward the elder stateswomen in our congregation, and when I walked in the door, my assumption seemed to be more or less correct. Let's see if I can paint the picture of that night accurately. Professionally speaking, I was exhausted from a week of mandatory teacher-in-service teacher training, the endless bureaucracy of which made me want to pull my hair out even though I loved my second graders. I'd been at the same school for 14 years, and this was the latest I'd ever waited to sign my contract for the following year. I'd waited so long, in fact, 
that the principal's last reminder email was a little testy, but I just hadn't been able to bring myself to sign on the dotted line. On the personal front, I was more than a little depressed at having celebrated the nuptials of my very last single girlfriend the week before, weekend before. And I guess since I've decided to be honest with you here in these pages we've come together to share, I must also rip off the band-aid and admit the worst of it. I'd found my first gray hair that morning and went straight from plucking it to making an appointment to get my hair colored. So perhaps you can imagine my surprise, or frankly my horror, when I was escorted to a seat at a table containing seven very lovely, very gray-haired women who kindly started inviting me to middle of the day, middle of the work week Bible studies suitable for the clearly and obviously retired. It gave me the strangest sense of vertigo, like I'd somehow wormholed my way from swinging 20s to creaking 60s with nary a stop in between. Being assigned to that particular table had me wondering if I'd missed some great, big, and divine detour sign offering me an off-ramp to somewhere more exciting, or at the very least wishing I could reach for an imaginary eject button to rocket myself out of the Dolesville trajectory of my life. The next morning at church, two of those self-same grannies latched onto me and made me sit with them, which caused my attention to waver from paying attention in the strictest sense to a review of my options. And then a Mr. Darcy Soundalike got up and started talking about belonging and calling and doing something meaningful with your short time on earth. In the state I was in, I doubt a dove descending onto his shoulder while a booming voice accompanied a ray of sunshine parting the clouds and blessing his brow could have made much more of an impression on me. I didn't even wait for the final amen before leaving those grannies in the dust as I made a desperate dash for the table and back. And here it is, my first piece of advice and or warning to you in this book, which in all other ways would most definitely not be placed upon the sacred shelves of self-help. If you find yourself in the mood I was in, when someone gets up for the world in a minute segment or anything like it and starts talking about heroism, self-sacrifice, and exotic locales upon which you can fling your temporal earthly bodies for the sake of the kingdom that never ends, for heaven's sake, plug your ears and start scrolling. Trust me on this, my friend, or you might be liable to find yourself playing international dress-up Barbie with three generations of women arguing about your weight in a language you don't understand, while the third plumber in as many months is installing a hopefully brand new toilet in your apartment after leaving you without one for three days. I mean, just as an example. I had a weak moment one lonely Sunday morning and fell under the spell of a British accent and the promise of a place to use my gifts for the glory of God. Now I'm in a contract I can't wiggle out of teaching eighth graders my least favorite demographic of humanity (laughs) at an international school catering mostly to expats called Istanbul International, sometimes referred to as I-squared. Eighth graders. I did not sign up for a course in how to most effectively martyr yourself in the pursuit of being a living sacrifice, but apparently I'm going to get it anyway. By the way, the Mr. Darcy Soundalike, who may or may not be the architect of my own personal destruction, is named Michael and he's the principal of said international school. I'm still trying to decide whether I'm mad at him or owe him big time, but either way, you can be assured I'll let you know when I figure it out. That's probably enough to get you started, which is good, because I might need to pull focus so as not to choke on the previously bitten, partially pre-owned pastry Grandma just shoved in my mouth. At least she stopped patting my butt. (laughs) That's great. That's perfect. Thank you. Wonderful introduction. (laughs) And... A true story. <laughs> Heightened mildly, but not much. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, wow. And so you just smile. 
Yes. I mean, what else are you going to do? Run away screaming? (laughs) I I see the problem. Yes. (laughs) So where can listeners find this book and um, your other books? And how can they contact you? Uh, They can go to my website, jodycoles.com, J-O-D-I-C-O-W-L-E-S, for an autographed copy. Or, like everyone else in the world, they can go to Amazon and (laughs) purchase it. Right. Yeah. Any other sites like Kobo or... Not currently, but that is in progress. Yes, in progress. (laughs) Yes. One at a time. Yes. Yes. And the audiobook will hopefully be available soon in the next, you know, I don't know how long it takes, but that's the next thing. It's got a deadline. Yes, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. This has been a lot of fun. And I um, trust readers will enjoy, well, get their hands on the book. Christmas is coming soon. Great Christmas gift. (laughs) So thanks again, Jody. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Remember, you too have a story. Be sure to live it to the fullest. Thank you for listening to Let Me Tell You a Story. Please email your comments, suggestions, and submissions to story at beckylyles.com. That's all for now. Tune in next time to enjoy a fresh assortment of stories on Let Me Tell You a Story.